Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. As we begin our worship today, it is with a hymn of assurance and trust, both of which seem to be rare gifts in our world these days, assurance and trust. It is a gospel hymn, and that phrase was first used, uh, choral historians say, by the author of this hymn, Edward Mote. It is a story, uh, that's a hymn that's based on the many times uh, in the Bible it speaks of God as a rock, uh, the rock of our salvation. It is from the rock that Moses draws the water in the wilderness. Uh, it was to Peter that uh, Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. So it's a hymn of assurance, contrasting the, the faith in Christ and also the sinking sand of the world. You'll even notice that the refrain goes down, you know, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. And every note of the refrain goes down. But it starts with an affirmation, my hope is built. I think that's an arpeggio, I believe. And it starts with strength, it starts with standing. So let us stand together and sing.
As we begin our worship, let us read responsively the litany of invitation and confession. God calls us away from aimless living and from hopeless illusions. God calls us for faith and hope God invites us to experience joy, and yet we often settle for less. We desire to be faithful people and a faithful congregation, yet we frequently have too little faith, too much fear, and live every day overwhelmed. God invites us to come close, bringing our profession of faith and our confessions of sin. We believe that God is near, and we ask for God's forgiveness. Sisters and brothers, God has forgiven us. May we fully choose God's great grace so that we might live emboldened lives of faith. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. And welcome again to the Worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist. During the summer, we meet in our chapel, which was the original sanctuary of the church, and it gives us a sense of more intimacy and also robust singing, which we hear one another as we sing and uh, delight in being in the presence of God. So welcome. Especially do we welcome those of you who are guests today. There is on the edge of the order of service uh, a welcome card a response card, and if you would complete that, drop it in the plate, it'll help me connect name and face with you. Also, it's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. And so if you have a request, place that on the card, drop it in the plate, and we'll be praying for you this week. Um, As you know, this summer we're going through the uh, summer studies of doctrines of the church and teachings of the church, stumbling toward faith, it's called. And again, today we had a wonderful presentation by Dr. Corbin Bokhaus. If you've been missing those, start coming. It's, it's just, it's a great conversation. Uh, He had referenced the Wesleyan quadrilateral of theology. Well, I'm going to reference the Bokhaus box. Uh, that he presented scholarly, with confidence, winsomeness, and inviting. That's pretty good, don't you think? Yeah. So what a good gift you gave in yourself as well as the conversation we had. Daniel, uh, our associate pastor, will be uh, preaching today. I get to see what things are like on the other side of the chancel. 
But he'll be preaching, and the sermons this summer echo the doctrines that we are talking about in Sunday school. Today was the notion of authority. From where do we get uh, our authority to live uh, the Christian life? Daniel will be speaking uh, uh, on that topic as well. So we open our hearts as well as our ears as we experience the Word of God together. Welcome. The first lesson. The people demand a king, and God reveals what kings do. A reading from the first book of Samuel. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow in your way. Appoint for us, then, a king to govern us so that we will be like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, just as they've done to me from the day I brought them up out of the land of Egypt to this day forsaking me and serving other gods, and so they are doing the same to you. So now listen. Listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them, and you shall show them the ways of the kings who reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. Samuel said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and others to reap his harvest, some to make implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day... You will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you on that day. Here ends the first lesson. Let us now say our prayers. O loving God, we give thanks for the gift of this bright and beautiful day for an opportunity to join together in worship that unites us together, that connects us with one another, and it doesn't hurt that we see lifelong and good friends that sit beside us and around us and share these values of praise. We give thanks for a good week at Tolliver County. We were touching Tolliver with love, but we were touched by Tolliver's love 
I think of the faces of the children that we shared the week with, of Bryson and his cautious joy, of Jaquela and her hesitant glimpses, of Gerardo and his glowing eyes. Oh God, thank you for their patience with us as we worked out our own salvation by delighting in loving them. Oh God, we have ridden the roller coaster this week, a week of reaction and distraction. We have struggled to know what is right to do, how to pray, how to rant, how to love, how to have boundaried compassion. We've ridden the roller coaster and we have motion sickness and emotion sickness. We pray for those in leadership. May they be given wise counsel and make courageous decisions. And we pray for the people that are under the umbrella of Northside Drive Baptist, some for whom the, the muddy boots of death have walked through their families again, for those who deal with diagnoses and struggles, for those who are in complex caregiver situations. Oh God, we bundle all these things up in the rubric of prayer and ask for your help and your healing. And perhaps it was this kind of week that the disciples turned to Jesus and said, we don't know what else to do but to ask, how do we pray? And will you teach us to pray? And so we join in that request and with Jesus say and pray boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Paul counsels the beleaguered Christian community in Rome to keep a low profile. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Romans. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, you should be afraid. For the authority does not bear the sword in vain. It is the servant of God to execute wrath on the wrongdoer. 
Therefore, one must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants, busy with this very thing. Pay to all what is due them. Taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. Here ends the second lesson. Boys and girls, if you can please join me at the front. Good morning. Hey, Jake. Good morning. I actually have new tennis shoes. You do have new tennis shoes. I like those shoes. They look very Spider-Man-y. Yeah. I have some new shoes, too. Good morning. Hi, friends. Very nice. Something for which to be thankful. Good morning. How are you? Good to see you. Hello, cousins. How are you? Welcome to Northside Drive. Hey, Ross. Come on. All right, so happy start to summer. You might be saying, what? We've been out of school since the end of May. Guess what? What? Happy uh, summer. The Sunday on the end of next month, guess what? You get to see my cousins. Would you bring them to church so we can meet yeah. them? That'd be awesome. Yeah. Thank you. They bring your cousins. Bring, bring your uh, friends and cousins. They're coming for, for a whole week. That's a wonderful thing. So you're going to entertain yeah. them and show them lots of things to and do in Atlanta. Watch it. They're sleeping in my bedroom. Oh, you have to give up your bedroom. Well, Guess what? What? I have an extra long bed. Awesome. <laughs> well, something for which to be thankful. So happy summer, and we'll be excited to meet your cousins when they come. My cousins so are going to come, and I'm going to buy an extra long twin mattress. Well, he's got it all worked out, Mom and Dad, so he's ready for the visitation. Good man. Okay, so it's summertime, right? And has anybody been to the beach yet this summer? I have. Oh, my goodness. Awesome. I have. Well, I, I had a good time. I right. went for a whole week. Awesome. Well, I'm getting ready to go to the beach to spend time with my family in North Carolina at the beach. And um, I'm so very, very excited. Can somebody remind me some things that I'm going to see at the beach? What now? Seagulls. Okay, so I should be ready to see some seagulls. Sandpipers. Yes, I'm excited about seeing sandpipers. Dolphins. Okay, I'm going to see some dolphins. We saw a dead fish on the shore. Sometimes we'll have some dead fish, won't we? Yeah, I saw one. Who made, um, who made, who made seagulls? Who created seagulls? I created seagulls. Who created dolphins? Yes. What are some other things that I'm going to see when I go to the seashore? A crab. I'm going to see some crabs and some sea and some seashells. I my mom took a picture of a crab. Did she really? I look forward to seeing that. I might have to take some pictures of crabs too. It you was saw? really big and it had a lot of meat. Okay. It had oh a big goodness. shell too. Big shell. And when went to the beach, guess what I had? You probably ate some crab, didn't you? I had devil crab. Oh, yummy. I did. So seafood, wonderful sea creatures. What else do we have when we go to the to the beach? Sharks. Sharks. Oh, should I be careful of sharks? 
Who created sharks? Who designed and created sharks? God created sharks. Yes, he did. Yes, what, what else? Stingrays. stingrays. God created stingrays, didn't he? All those creatures that fill the sea. Who made the sea? Who made the ocean? Who created the ocean? God, oh my goodness. Now, do you know in the summer times, do we have a lot more light outside? Is there more sunshine in the summertime? Because a, a few days ago, we had our longest day of sunlight here in our part of the country. Did you notice that it got, it was bright, sunshiny in the morning, and then it stayed nice and light until like about nine o'clock at night? It was our longest day of the year, and each day uh, for a while, it's going to start getting shorter and shorter. But who made the light? Who, who made the beautiful sunshine? Created that God. Who created nighttime? And what are some things for which we can be thankful that we can do in the sun? Yes. Blank. Oh, that is a that is a, a time where we can talk about that another time. It has some, something to do with the moon. Who created the moon? God. God created the moon. And so when we have the moon, when we're at the beach, which helps with our tide, um, what are some things we can be thankful for that we do during the daytime? At the beach. I have a question. What are some things that we can do? What now? Um, okay, at the beach, let's water and sky, all those things for which I'll be thankful when I get there. Is it nice to have nighttime also? Yeah. Nice. What are some things that we can be I thankful for at nighttime from God's creation? Um, a moon. The beautiful moon. God's beautiful moon. Falling asleep after playing in it's the sunshine. All the these wonderful things. For two days. Let's, let's do what Avi, let's see what Avi has to share. Avi. The what now? All the red moon. So wonderful things. Did, did you know that God created all of these things? He created the earth. He created the sunshine that we can go outside and play and have light to walk, to nourish our plants and us. And the nighttime is his. And he created the water and all the sea creatures in the water and all the creatures on the land for which we can be thankful for. Did he create us also? Yeah. He sure did. So we have a lot to be thankful for. And when I go to the beach next week, the, the sandpipers and the seagulls and the sharks and the moon and the sand and the sun and the waves, um, I'm going to thank you for reminding me all the wonderful things for which to thank God for his wonderful creation. Okay, so thank you for getting me ready for my beach trip. Can we pray together? Dear God, thank you for your beautiful world. Thank you for all the beautiful things that you designed and created and thank you for these beautiful children in our church. And thank, I thank them for helping to remind us all of the wonderful things for which to be thankful. Amen. All right. Thank you, Miss Mary Lou. And guess what? We're going to sing a hymn called Standing on the Promises. Now, fear not, I'm not going to offer explanation for every hymn this summer. But there are some things that it helps to know the backstory. Uh, like with the Olympics, you know, it always helps to know how the figure skater has practiced for all those years to get to that moment. This song was written by a Methodist minister. He did several things in his life, including being a farmer for a while, but he loved being a hymn writer. 
This big book that I have is what uh, Dr. Husted, the designer of our hymnal, put together that has the stories of the hymns along the side. And of this one at the end, it has the suggestion. It has been suggested that the martial spirit of this music may be due to the author-composer Carter's association with the Pennsylvania Military Academy, where he was first a student and then a professor. This rousing gospel song must not be sung glibly. Now, you're not, you're not going to do that, are you, Steve? If you were planning to sing, if you were planning to sing glibly, quit it. It will not be sung glibly but in a manner that suggests the unwavering faithfulness of a God who keeps God's promises to us. Standing on the promises, let's stand together and sing.
And please remain standing for the reading of the gospel lesson. Jesus teaches about the demands of the state, but also the loyalty to God. A reading from the gospel according to Matthew. The Pharisees went and and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. And so they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And you show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. So tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought to him a denarius. And then they said to and then he said to them, Whose head is on this? Whose title? And they answered, The emperor. And then Jesus said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and give to God the things that are God's. Now when they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him, and they went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd like to thank Sid Janney for reading that passage from Romans this morning. I selected that weeks ago. And it may uh, have seemed uh, jarring to some to hear it from in the middle of a worship service. It is the Bible, after all. I thank you, Sid. And what I heard echoing after you sat down was the word conscience. Conscience. And I want to speak to you this morning about the conscience of the state. Several Northside drivers spent a good portion of last week in Tolliver County with the most wonderful children. You know, you can learn a few deep things about a child in just a very short time. Children, as you know from this morning, will say the most interesting things. And we were working on memory verses all week, and I didn't have that growing up, but I love memory verses. You, you know how those memory verses work, don't you? You write up the whole verse on the whiteboard, and then you have the children say it repeatedly, and you take away one word at a time until they can say the whole verse by heart. And one of those verses that I saw in every room at that school in Tolliver County, I couldn't get it out of my mind. I still can't get it out of my mind. It was from Hebrews. Those who were there, you know what I'm talking about. It was a quotation of Jesus, and it was very, it's very simple. He says, I will never leave you or abandon you. And what does abandon mean, children? Barbara actually would ask. And they'd say, it means you leave and don't come back. But God will never do that, we told them. We didn't have to tell them that human beings would do that, though. You know, you didn't need to tell those children that. Many of them knew that already. Daddy had died. Mama was in jail. Wasn't sure when they were coming back. 
One little boy said he'd been crying the night before. And we said, well, why have you been crying? He said, because the news said that they're taking the babies from the parents. I will never leave you or abandon you. Well, this is the way it is in the world, I'm afraid. Children get abandoned every day. But it is not the way with God. Well, that is a memory verse worth memorizing. But instead of Hebrews 13.5, the whole nation has had another memory verse it's been working on lately from Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. The Attorney General cited this verse as authority for a policy of separating children from families at the border. And his point was that governments are instituted by God for the purpose of order. And the enforcement of a nation's laws are in keeping with God's will. But since the fourth century, that has been the dominant reading of the text, indeed. He wasn't making up anything new. It's been used to prop up the Nazi regime, global dictatorships, the politics of white supremacy. But did Paul really mean that Christians were to accept every governmental authority as divinely instituted no matter what transpires? Did he really mean we must obey all laws even if they violated our conscience? Paul was the one who said in the same letter to the Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Paul is that same apostle who wrote that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every knee. Paul's the one who was arrested by religious and secular authorities over and over again, who was beaten and executed by the Romans. So what got into Paul that he's telling folks to submit when he did what seemingly is the exact opposite his whole life? Well, Paul was writing to Jewish Christians in Rome who had just recently been allowed to return to their city. They'd been kicked out a few years earlier by Emperor Claudius, and they had just returned. So Paul, in a sense, is telling them, don't rock the boat. He was not trying to give us a full explanation of how Christians are to relate to the state at all times and in all circumstances. He was telling a persecuted minority, "Be take it easy for a little bit. And the truth is that we don't get a full doctrine of the state from this verse. It's much more complicated than that, isn't it? And in some conversations that I've had with church members in these last two weeks, I, I see that what we're talking about in our nation and what I'm talking about this morning is very complicated. It's complex because we all enjoy our freedom. None of us want anarchy, which is what you'd have if you didn't have a state. We can gather this morning because the freedom guaranteed by the Constitution. We don't want our government telling us what to do. But we struggle with knowing how to find our voice when we feel the government is doing something wrong. Should we speak up to the government or just talk to each other? If we do address the government, should we use the language of the Bible or should we translate our beliefs into secular language of the public square? 
these are hard questions. I, I can't imagine I'll even get close to answering any of them this morning. I don't have it all worked out. This summer, I'll be doing a fellowship with the Baptist Joint Committee and hope to be continuing my work on those questions. And I'll report back to you. But this morning, we have the scriptures you heard to grapple with, all three of them. And I, I do think these texts help us to see some truths by which we can live our lives in relationship to the state. The first you heard from 1 Samuel, I think, tells us that we should not identify any political movement with the will of God. That is a temptation of both the political left and right. When the nation of Israel asked for a king, God told Samuel that the people had rejected God as king. Then he warned them about the consequences of what having a king would bring. Perhaps it would bring order, but it would bring injustice with it. Whenever human beings have put their entire faith into human institutions, God has been pushed out of the picture. And this is true whether we're talking about absolute monarchies or totalitarian regimes, perhaps the politics of our own time. And the temptation of the world in which we live is to put our faith in a person or a political movement. But political leaders and parties are human and therefore fallible and just as prone to sin and idolatry as the rest of us. Kings come and go. So we cannot confuse earthly institutions with God's will. The second thing is related to the first, and it is that the Baptist way of relating to the state is through separation from the powers and not collusion with them. The Baptist reading of Romans 13 has been through the lens of a people who grew out of a persecuted religious movement that yearned for freedom. Baptists had no power. They were victims of state power. Roger Williams was kicked out of Massachusetts by the Puritans for his religious beliefs, so he set up the first Baptist church in America in Providence, Rhode Island. And he wrote in his early writings about the need for a wall of separation between church and state. And it was a Baptist association in Connecticut who wrote to Thomas Jefferson, expressing concern that their state constitution did not protect religious liberty. Many of you know his famous reply to the Danbury Baptist Church, in which he explained that the First Amendment to the United States Constitution created a wall of separation between church and state. He, he borrowed a phrase from a Baptist to write to a group of Baptists. Jesus helps us to see how we can live separately and not in collusion with the powers. You heard the Gospel reading the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus with a question about taxes, and he asked for a coin. He said, whose head is this and whose title is it? It was the emperor. He called them hypocrites. They claimed to be serving God, but they used a currency which proclaimed on the very coin that Caesar was the son of God. They were in collusion with the powers. And if you really want to avoid collusion with the powers, it begins by calling Jesus Lord, not Caesar, whoever Caesar is. And we Baptists have been served well by that wall of separation. We, we don't want an established church. We want the freedom to worship as we see fit. 
But that freedom is made possible by human institutions, which are ordered. And that is the dilemma. We all want freedom and we all want order, but to be part of social relationships with others means that there has to be an order and regularity to our lives. But, but, there are times in our life when we are morally obligated to speak and to act. There are limits to our submission to authority. And that is the third and final thing, is that the limits of our submission are dictated by our conscience. And I think that we learn what conscience means best in the community called the church. This means that we must work out with fear and trembling together what principled stand we must take in relation to an unjust law. It means that we might be called upon to speak when others are silent. Martin Luther King Jr. said once that the church must serve as the conscience of the state, not as the slave of the state. And to be the conscience of the state means that we are light in a dark world, We are the salt of the earth. We season a lifeless and dead, immoral landscape. But speak we must when it is required. And that's hard work. It requires a life of discipleship. It requires boldness before the powers. It requires reflection about what bedrock principles we have as Christians and as the church. And sadly, most Christians throughout history have not taken this path. They've said the church's role is to administer the sacraments and perform church teaching and let the state do what the state will do. The law is the law. Well, you know, it was against the law for Peter and the apostles to be preaching about Jesus in Jerusalem. They were brought before the Sanhedrin. And the question was put to Peter. They said, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And Peter didn't quote Romans 13 back to the person of the Sanhedrin. You know what he said? He said, we must obey God rather than any human authority. There was a law, but God's will transcended it. In Germany, there was a law in 1934, early in the Nazi regime, called the law against treacherous attacks on the state and party and for the protection of party uniforms. There was a law. It couldn't be denied. And the vast majority of German Catholic priests and Protestant pastors didn't speak up when Jews were deported. Unless their ability to administer the sacraments and experience church as they were used to was threatened, they did not speak for the most part. But Father Bernhard Lichtenberg, he knew well about that law against treacherous attacks. Lichtenberg was a priest in St. Hedwig's Catholic Church in Berlin. And he had repeatedly been on the radar of the Gestapo because he had opposed the Nazis' euthanasia program. He had spoken out in favor of the weak. He'd spoken out in favor of the Jews. He had made it a regular practice to pray for Jews during the church worship service for years. And in 1941, two Protestant students came to admire the architecture at St. Hedwig's, and they heard the priest 
pray for the Jews. And they denounced him to the SS. And he was interrogated. And the quote on the front of your order of worship is from the transcript of the interrogation by the SS that Bernhard Lichtenberg gave. Lichtenberg was shipped off to the concentration camp at Dachau, but he died on the way there. And he says in his quote, I must follow my conscience. And so too must we. It was against the law in Germany to speak against the state, but Lichtenberg had core Christian beliefs that compelled him to disobey the law. Writing from the Birmingham jail to moderate white pastors, Martin Luther King Jr. acknowledged that the white pastors had great anxiety about breaking the law. These protests were against the law. The king wrote that an unjust law is no law at all. And so King broke the law again and again. He got arrested repeatedly because his conscience demanded it. Well, friends, these are, these are complex issues. I don't mean to oversimplify them. But I can't help to return again and again in my mind to that little boy, Tolliver, who'd been crying because of the news. And I don't know his situation. Maybe his life was not so different from a child separated from a parent at the border. Maybe he spoke out of real experience. But what should we say to the little child whose conscience has been seared by the injustice of the world in which we live? What memory verse should we inscribe on his impressionable young mind, hoping that when he becomes a man, it will be there still leaving an indelible mark, shaping his conduct and his worldview, will it be, let every person be subject to the authorities, or will it be, I will never leave you or abandon you? Will it be those authorities that exist have been instituted by God, or will it be, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself? What of God's truth struggles within you to burst out and be said to the little child? What must be said today if this was your last day on earth? What does your conscience compel you to say that all the laws and policies might discourage or one day prevent? I'll go back to Tolliver next year. I hope I'll see him again. And you're invited too. All of you. Maybe you can come too. And if you like, you'll have a few precious moments with a child of God to tell them the words of God. For now, may our memory verse be, I will never leave you or abandon you. Amen.
It is our tradition that when a word is offered, an opportunity for response to invitation and dedication is also given. It is a sacred thing in Baptist uh, life, this soul conscience. And uh, it is a calling. And Daniel, I'm glad your soul conscience was called into our calling today. As we li live with these words and live out these words, we sing a hymn of commitment about the commitment that we've made in following Christ. A charge to keep is number 659. Let's stand together and sing. Well, each time we gather, we bring some celebrations and concerns, and I have a few announcements uh, for you this morning. Directly after the service this morning, there will be a uh, family luncheon. So our families, uh, if you'd like to gather with your children in the fellowship hall, and I believe uh, Graham Mudd will be helping to uh, administer that. So uh, see her if you have any uh, questions about that this morning. Um, reminder that our, our pen pals... Uh, Sign-up sheet is still outside, several blanks left, so be looking at that to sign up to be a correspondent with uh, some of the children at Northside Drive Baptist Church. I'll bring you uh, a few prayer concerns this morning. Uh, some sad news that uh, Helen White's daughter, Susan, died last Friday. And we ask for prayers for Helen and for her son, Bruce, as they travel, uh, return travel from El Paso, Texas. And we lift that family up this morning. Um, we pray also for uh, the family of Geneva Hall Shelton and her husband, uh, Kali Almeida, who Kali's mother died last week. So we'll be praying for uh, that family as well. And I did get some uh, good news from member uh, Melissa Johnson, whose mother Beverly was in a car accident um, a week and a half ago. Um, good news that she's recovering well. Um, 
reasonably well and will be discharged to a rehab facility hopefully in the next few days this week. So continue to pray uh, for them. The family's asking for continued prayer. Um, also, um, as you heard uh, in the morning prayer this morning, uh, our prayers are with uh, our, the leaders of our country and for the situation at the border. Uh, may wisdom and discernment come to all. I echo that. Uh, we continue our worship uh, with the giving of our tithes and offerings and uh, beautiful music. So let us worship.
All-loving God, the staff singer's song grabs our souls and calls us to joy. It even invites us to sway with the music and with hope. Receive these tithes and offerings in thy service so that we might serve you this week. And when it comes time for each of us to see the sweet chariot that swings low to carry us home, may we look back and recall that we have lived life with soul, with conscience, with compassion, and with great, great hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now hear this good word, this benediction. May God give you strength to speak when speaking is required, to act when it is prudent, and to always love neighbor as yourself. Amen.